Hello and welcome to the Spike Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and back with us for the first time in a while, Spike's editor, Tom Slater. Hello. And Spike columnist, Ella Whelan. Hi. Coming up on the show, women with penises, Joe Biden's regime change gaffe and the bitch slap that shook the world. So can a woman have a penis? Do only women have cervixes? And what is a woman? These questions are tripping up everyone, all of our political leaders across both sides of the Atlantic at the moment. In the past week or so, we've had UK Labour leader Keir Starmer refuse to say whether women can have penises. And we had Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson, say that she could not define the word woman because she's not a biologist. Tom, everyone knows what a woman is, really. Mm. What the hell is going on? I think that's the big part of it is because when you see whether it's Keir Starmer or anyone else failing to answer this question, part of the reason it's so humiliating is that we all know they know. Mm. See what I mean? Like we all know that they're kind of lying or they're trying to reach for um, an explanation that they don't really actually understand. And that's one of the things that I think is so humiliating about this in particular is that it's not, it would be bad enough if the political class had bought into a very strange kind of postmodern uh, biology denying view of the world, but they haven't. They're just yeah. kind of afraid of it. Mm. Um, and that I think is the thing that makes it more humiliating than anything else. So, you know, they're throwing out the definition of womanhood. They're pretending like biological sex isn't a thing. Uh, you know, they get rid of women's sports and whatever. And for what? For something they don't actually believe. So I think that's, that's one of the things that really came out this week with Keir Starmer stumbling over his words on LBC and all the rest of it is that they're taking all this flack for something that they don't actually believe. Mm. And that, that seems to me to be one of the one of the most appalling <laughs> dimensions of this, I guess. It's quite cowardly, isn't it, at the end of the day? I mean, uh, yeah, as you say, Tom, it's not as if they've gone in and said, well, actually, a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. They don't say that either, but they just are trying to avoid offending people. Yeah, they just say, uh, 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 I don't know, or it's very complicated, or it's some, you know, either something for biologists or something for mm. psychologists, or, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I will wait until I read an academic paper before I can tell you whether I am a man or a woman. Yeah. Which is, you know, it, uh, Tom's right. In terms of the electorate watching that, it comes, you just come across as an idiot or a liar, actually, worse, because mm. what you're really saying is, I don't have the guts to tell you um, what I think. But there was a sort of interesting or telling response from Angela Rayner when she was asked the similar question um, earlier this week, where she began relatively reasonably because she was saying, look, I think it's you know a bit degrading that this discussion has been reduced to genitals. And you think, well, yes, I agree with that. And then she carried on to say, but the, you know, the, the real reason that's happened is because people have been talking about this on social media and there's been all these commentators are sounding mm. their mouth off and we should mm. stop people like that talking about it. And it should be for the professionals. She said, I'm paraphrasing. She said something like that. And you think, oh, what? Hang on a minute. So you're <laughs> saying that ordinary people can't talk about the most ordinary fact of life, mm. you know, what, what you are mm. in terms of sex or gender or whatever. Really, we have to remind ourselves an incredibly uninteresting factor in most people's lives. But, you know, whether or not the, this whole issue that we're getting fixated on um, on genitals or biology is, I mean, the fault of that lies at the feet of trans activists and people who are obsessed with gender neutralizing everything. Because mm. let's not forget that, as far as I'm concerned, women don't want to be called chest feeders yeah. or vulva havers or bleeders or any of these things that have been used in, in terms of sort of like progressive language to be inclusive to trans, which basically is reducing women to the most visceral 
um, you know, biological functions that we have. So please don't give me the crocodile tears when someone talks about whether or not you have a penis, when yeah. you're suggesting that <laughs> I'm going to be labeled, you know, you know, a, a vagina owner or something yeah. like that. It's mm. a bit rich. Joanna Williams has made this point, but you do get the feeling with all of that very tangled kind of um, phraseology we end up with, that the only people who can cleanly refer to themselves as women are trans women as well. Yeah. So you can understand why there's a lot of concern just about how um, just that word being taken away from women in a sense. I thought it was interesting when Wes Streeting, he was on talk radio earlier this week and the question was put to him and he actually had an answer for it. And he said, yeah. men have penises, women have vaginas, but then also there are trans people who have rights and all the rest of it. And you just think it's a really straightforward proposition. Yeah. You know, this doesn't have to be some insane gotcha. You've got yourself into this position because you're terrified of falling off the tightrope. Mm. But all you have to do is say what you believe to be true um, and say what you believe to be right. And then you'll be fine. Um, and the inability to even do that, I think, has been really quite striking. The other thing is that I've, I really struggle to understand what the purpose of this is, even from the kind of extreme trans activist perspective, um, to completely collapse the category or the identity, if we're going to use that sort of language, of a trans woman, for instance, into mm. just womanhood in general. These are obviously different experiences. On a point of fact, they've had different experiences. On a point of fact, they've got different biology. Um, their experiences in society are going to be fundamentally different. Isn't it kind of mm. kind of anti-intersectional in some kind of way to just collapse mm. these kinds of categories? I mean, Ella, one thing is that we're, we're not talking about nutcases in a student union here. Mm. We're not talking about woke extremists. We're talking about the highest levels of politics, not just in the UK, but in the US, the highest levels of lawmaking. How has it reached that point? Yeah, well, I mean, you could argue that the Labour Party has about as much power and sway as a nutcase student union. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's influencing the Tories as it's, well. It, yes. Boris Johnson can't I, quite bring himself to say. Yeah, and he and he stumbles over. I mean, everybody and their mum knows what Boris Johnson thinks about. You know, you can you can guess what he thinks about gender and sex. He's very uninterested in this. But <laughs> like all other politicians, he too is trapped by this feeling of not wanting to say um, the wrong thing, and he t manages to turn it into this kind of mm. charming bumble. I mean, the you know, I, I share Tom's kind of uneasiness with praising Wes Streeting, <laughs> and this will be the one time that I ever do it. But the reason why he was so good on that, it has to be noted, is because in the same day that he was asked that question, mm. he was running, uh, supporting and running a campaign in the Commons to um, continue telemedical abortion provision for women, which won. So you can't argue for something very specific to women like that and then not know what a woman is so well done to him mm. for for basically revealing the importance of specifics mm. when it comes to talking about sex and just briefly before we move on let's talk a tiny bit about sport because that seems to be the area where almost the biology can no longer be denied mm. you know so we've had the leah thomas case and the emily bridges case in the uk in in recent weeks tom what have you made of that no, I think that's exactly it. I think that's the point at which it's incredibly difficult to de deny the evidence of your own eyes. And it's just something which, again, is all it takes is just a, a modicum of common sense to recognise that this is just not a good idea. I mean, that the, the obvious advantages um, for um, trans women in women's categories is um, incredible. And it's. I think what most people will be struck by is why it took so long for people to really start talking about this mm. or to take it seriously why there have been some cases of sports people less so in the UK but certainly in America with the Leah Thomas example and whatever actually getting to quite a high level before um, this debate even seems to take place in the public and 
it's 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 cheering to see that we're actually having this discussion. You can have it in a straightforward way. This isn't about hating on anyone. But it, it reminds us, I think, of just the, the Orwellian nature of a lot of this. It's it's asking you to deny the evidence of your own eyes, um, to say two plus two equals five, and also just to surrender any other consideration to essentially the self-esteem of mm. certain individuals, you know, so any other consideration, whether it's actual, the, again, how we've structured sports for time immemorial, whether it's actually the medical provision and what yeah. is the best way to communicate to people who need particular care, what is the best way to engage with particular patients, everything has to be conquered before it. And the thing I think we always come back to on this particular issue is that I'm not, you do, do not see trans people en masse demanding this convoluted, often quite bizarre list of demands and phrases and all the rest of it. It just seems to be kind of emanating from a very small amount of people who have gained an outsized amount of influence. Um, but now I think that's starting to be called into question. I mean, the debate is going to get nastier, I'm sure, but nevertheless, there feels like an opening now on a lot of these issues, you know. So let's talk about Joe Biden. The war in Ukraine has been going on um, for just over a month now. And Biden has made a series of gaffes where he's essentially come across as calling for regime change in, in Russia. Tom, what have you made of that? It's hard to work out what to make of this because whatever way you want to read it, it's dreadful. Like yeah. either, So he was giving this speech in Poland and you know he's sticking very closely to the script, even struggling with that a little bit, <laughs> if we're being honest. And then it just in his final line says that, you know, I think it was something along the lines of, my God, this man can't stay in, in power or whatever. Mm. Uh, turns uh, The claim is that this was an ad lib, yeah. <laughs> effectively, that he just felt it in the moment. Instantly, you had White House officials tried to walk it back. So you're left with either this is the plan mm. and he's just let it slip, <laughs> <laughs> or this is not the plan whatsoever. And yet he's done tremendous damage yeah. to an already very difficult situation just because, you know, just because he felt like it. Now, obviously... This would be bad enough, but there's a kind of string of other gaffes which lead up to it. On this trip to Poland, he's um, obviously being taken around to see American troops there, but also uh, refugees, um, you know, referring to Putin as a butcher, yeah. uh, talking to soldiers and saying, you'll see when you get there, mm. you know, that the Ukrainians are so brave or is so striking, all the rest of it. Um, and it's just a kind of reminder, I think, that, and you made this point when this all kicked off, Fraser, is that for all of that talk, about how the adults were back in the room, you know, mm. that America was being led again by the sensible people, by the experts, people always banging on about how Joe Biden has all of this foreign policy expertise, to, you know, to suggest that we've ended up, to, to say that they're not rising to the occasion is just a profound understatement. <laughs> yeah. It's dreadful. You know, they're genuinely making things even worse, genuinely posing a threat to uh, to the current situation, potentially making it even more unstable. And just because he's fluffing his lines. I mean, yeah. it just shows that, the, the people that we have in charge just are not up to what this moment in history kind of is demanding from them. And you see that from Biden, you see that from Harris. This just it's, it's just hard to kind of overstate, I guess, kind of how much of, of a gaffe yeah. that in particular is. You know? Well, the excuse seems to be that he keeps making is that he's, you know, stirred by feelings. Mm. But when you're the president of the United States, your words have consequences mm. it's not a you're not mouthing off on twitter he said he said that about trump once in a speech yeah. i think he said something like you know the president's words matter they have the power to move markets to do yeah. this to do that so he know, but <laughs> you know <laughs> obviously he's much more foggy headed than he likes to let on but well that's it i mean there is you know you can i've had more sort of generosity to the argument that says but it's not up to it just in terms of 
he's kind of, you know, not, I, I don't quite buy the whole kind of dementia thing, but there's something going on in which he just kind of almost can't be bothered anymore. He makes, <laughs> he makes all his speeches are, are, you know, large sections of them are about him, him. I've been in foreign policy for X number of years. And when I did this and when I did that, it's, you know, it's, it's worse kind of self-promotion than Trump ever engaged in. Cause it's this, in this kind of very sort of slippery underhanded way. But there was an article by Freddie Gray in the Telegraph in which he made the distinction of saying, you know, uh, Biden has now become the commentator in chief. Yeah. And that there has been this shift in the way in which America, or at least Biden as, as president of America, sees its role on the international stage. It's no longer the kind of policeman of the world or whatever the mm. phrase was. It's become this sort of sort of carper from the sidelines that there's, you know, the kind of degradation of diplomacy of this very serious sort of professionalism in terms of geopolitics is gone. Yeah. And if you've got someone like Putin, who very much knows what he wants in relation to this um, war and uh, uh, Western leaders who seem to either not know what they want or just be going on, going mm. off on their own, as Tom's suggesting Biden yeah. might be doing, that's dangerous. That's the, that kind of instability is not great. And with, with a view to not uh, personalising it too much, although it's you know obviously what he says and does is is important. There is, in a weird kind of way, these gaffes do kind of reflect the sort of incoherence at, at, at the heart of the American foreign policy establishment, or the uncertainness, or the yeah. the, the lack of sure footedness, if you like. I mean, it's interesting as well because these gaffes have kind of gone in, in both directions. You know, this one quite bellicose. <laughs> uh, but you obviously remember prior to the invasion where he was talking about, you know, if there's a minor incursion, mm. um, I mean, I can't imagine that was <laughs> scripted. I mean, effectively telegraphing, you know, well, if it's, if it's push the boundaries the, a bit. Exactly. You know, it was, it was incredible. Ukraine, it was it's all fine. It was incredible. <laughs> but again, you do have um, this situation where not just over the during this particular presidency, but over many, many years, um, you ha the the picture that starts to emerging is that um, with various things that we've talked about, with the expansion of NATO, with the often quite kind of bellicose rhetoric towards Russia, with the way in which Russia got kind of mixed into the American culture war, you had a very mm. kind of Russophobic term, the Democratic Party, whatever. You had a kind of American establishment that was um, constantly kind of spoiling for a conflict with Russia, um, constantly kind of egging on conflict in in certain respects, and yet clearly had no intention of following through on that. Yeah. Um, or at least not in a kind of direct fashion in the way that certainly I think a lot of people in Ukraine were expecting that kind of more level of support. That's not to suggest that now they should, you know, roll yeah. in the tanks, roll in the troops. But you end up with the kind of worst of both worlds is that you've kind of provoked, you've, you've added to mm. the tensions which have, create, which have created this particular conflict, but then not kind of follow f through on it. Obviously, Vladimir Putin is 100% responsible for what has happened. He has agency, he has choices and all the rest of it. It wasn't a defensive move to invade a whole nation. But again, you see that kind of confusion, that kind of incoherence. And it's sort of, if it's not necessarily directly reflected, if you like, but you see a parallel in the kind of foggy-headed Biden, yeah, <laughs> I guess, in that respect. You know? Definitely. I want to talk about, a bit about a comment Vladimir Putin made uh, last week, which was to say that the children's author, Joanne Rowling, they've cancelled her, now they're trying to cancel a thousand-year mm. country, referring to Russia. Um, what have you made of Putin's supposed support for our beloved children's author, Harry Potter author, J.K. Rowling? <laughs> Marriage made in heaven, as some people <laughs> on social media seem to be viewing it as. I mean, you know, it's funny that people can go from so quickly suggesting that Putin is a madman, that he, everything that comes out of his mouth is fake news, that he's you know, not to be believed, kill him, kind of, you know, all that kind of rhetoric. 
to then saying, ah, oh, but he's right on JK Rowling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and sort of, you know, everyone from Billy Bragg to, uh, you know, actually people who should know better in terms of being mm. more involved in politics coming out and saying, now, Miss Rowling, will you denounce your heresy because you have the <laughs> worst man in the world um, supporting your position? And, you know, uh, Tom, as you put in your article, I think it was, you know, the JK Rowling came back with a perfectly reasonable um, response saying, well, excuse me, I will not take mm. this is I'm, I'm not going to take lectures from someone <laughs> who's poisoning their own people, killing, you know, trying to wipe out a nation all the rest of it. But even that didn't satisfy people. Yeah. There was articles that said, well, you know, what a what a kind of terse response, a, a mm. weak response is that like, what do you want this woman to do? <laughs> um, and and. Would I would would you like to have lists of the people that support you published online? This is a really kind of crass understanding of what it means to hold a political view that whether it's on gender or anything else, that if, if you know you have to have saintly followers or else it's not um legitimate. It's also the case that it's not a legitimate thing that Putin was saying. It is as you know, as Tom called it, grotesque to compare what he's doing to protect the, you yeah. know, the um, history of Russia with what J.K. Rowling is arguing about protecting women-only spaces. Um, but the, you know, the kind of, the desire to um, utilise Putin's words for this kind of very, in the grand scheme of what's going on in Europe, relatively petty row about mm -hmm. um, gender to try and say something mm -hmm. larger or more principled about, um, you know, Putin is pretty degrading and tells you how little they know about what's actually going on in relation to Russia and Ukraine. Tom? Yeah, I, I think it was interesting because if you want to use the phrase kind of useful idiots, I think it definitely applies to the people who were jumping up and down as soon as they, they saw this. Because in part, this was a sort of troll, really. Mm. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and I'm not one of these people who thinks that, you know, Putin is playing like 3D chess, that, you know, <laughs> all of these troll farms pumping out memes to yeah. wind up Americans on Facebook so that they'll go out and vote for Trump or whatever. It's you know, kind of just fuels the sort of slightly ridiculous Russiagate idea that memes, you know, won, mm. <laughs> won the election, fired out of Moscow or whatever. Um, but at the same time, it's quite clear that he does he does indulge in this kind of thing because it, it does kind of spin people out for a couple of days. And, you know, the, just the crass guilt by association, like the idea that J.K. Rowling or any of these kind of liberal gender-critical feminists have the same view on social issues <laughs> as Vladimir Putin... <laughs> It's just, I mean, you know, they, they both believe in biological sex. I'm sure they both believe the sky is blue. That doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that, you know, they're horrendous people because, and they're allies of Vladimir Putin. There's <laughs> the most crass kind of way to just smear people. Also, if you're, if you're trying to go about claiming that cancel culture doesn't exist yeah. and it's just a fiction that is indulged in by right-wingers with nothing else to do and um, autocratic dictators, uh, maybe don't go around trying to smear <laughs> people you disagree with as, you know, apologists for Putin or whatever. So there's that to it. And it's, it's also just... What's so kind of interesting about it, I guess, is just the way in which there is such a enthusiasm for just using this conflict, as you were saying, Ella, to just have out the most petty political mm -hmm. arguments possible. Um, and I think that one of the things that that kind of reminds us about is that there's been a lot of discussion, particularly in kind of our area of politics or our sort of terrain, if you like, about what the war means for the culture war, if you see what I mean, or what yeah. impact will it do? Will it shake us out of all of these kind of different debates? and all the rest of it. And I think things like this show that it, if you're expecting the culture war to just go away because things have gotten serious, then you've got another thing coming because mm -hmm. for a lot of commentators, for a lot of influential people, even a lot of politicians, this, the culture war is not just something that is not like a fad that becomes obsessed yeah. with. It's the way they see the world. Mm. Um, all of these pet, all these ridiculous issues, 
all of these petty beefs that they have is essentially just uh, their the way in which they operate. Um, and the scale's not just going to fall from their eyes because something more serious has come along. And I think this in its own ridiculous way has, has demonstrated that, definitely. I think it really demonstrates the inability of people to kind of zoom out and look at what the bigger picture is. So, you know, there's you there, there's this kind of weird phenomenon among some right-wingers at the moment who have suddenly become real Putin fans because, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, he's really hard on the LGBTQ plus pr- crowd yeah, and we Putin need to get... woke. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which Putin is, never called me racist. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, um, go spend some time in Petrograd yeah. and come back and tell us what it's like. Um, and it's that's incredibly crass. But there's also this, you know, as you know, Thomas said, the pettiness of this about, oh, well, he's mentioned Joanne Rowling by, by name. You just want to say, hang on a minute. Are you for the country that locks up artists, that imprisons mm. people who um, criticise any anything relating to the political regime, that locks up thousands and thousands and thousands of protesters and is beating people on the streets for holding up signs? Or are you for the country that believes that we should be able to voice opinions on Twitter or in the public square or anywhere else on all kinds of issues. And then, you know, obviously most people will hopefully want to say the latter, but those who have been attacking JK Rowling for the last, you know, however many years aren't really able to answer that because they're not for the free society because they don't believe in free Mm. speech and they don't get to hold Mm. those principles. They refuse to. So it leaves them in, you know, never mind um, the fact that JK Rowling is supposed to be shame faced now because she's been outed by, you know, as having Putin as a fan. But the people who should be ashamed in this context is those who will ref- still refuse, even at this point when we have the most stark example of censorship and state repression in relation to what's going on under Putin's autocratic regime, to not even be able to have the humility to understand how important free speech is yeah. in their own nation. I think that's a, re- that's a really important point, just to kind of uh, tack onto that. The way in which they've pulled back a little bit now, yeah. but the way in which the kind of culture warring American right in particular had, if not support for Putin, they would kind of make excuses. They would cut, it, it, they would sort of stutter a bit about this particular issue. Um, because they felt uh, it, there was a genuine sense of having almost conflicted loyalties, I think, in some, <laughs> in some respects, in some corners of it, or just a, a slightly unpleasant, it's none of my business. To, you yeah. know, it's got nothing to do with me type uh, cop out. But it, it, that sort of perspective, I think, you know, whether or not they've just tumbled into this perspective where it's always been that way. The thing about the cultural, which I think makes it so important to actually engage with, it's not just a fripper, is that there's really important principles at play in relation to freedom, in relation to tolerance, in relation to just reason and reality being mm. important rather than all these mad ideologies. The reason I think it's so important is not because it's just a battle between trans lunacy on one hand and Eastern traditionalism on the other yeah. or some variant thereof. It's uh, it's much more important in principle than that, and I think that slippage that you've seen um, has been quite striking. Though, though I think interesting that there's been a stepping back from that, certainly in some quarters, given they've sort of caught themselves a little bit, maybe. And finally, let's talk about what's been one of the biggest news stories of the week, of the month, probably um, the Oscars, which normally no one is interested in. Um, has had its ratings collapse over the years. No one's even seen most of the films that they reward. But Will Smith got on stage, slapped Chris Rock after he made a joke about his wife. Tom, do you want to add your take, even knowing that it's probably superfluous (laughs) above the tens of millions of takes that have already been been offered? It's kind of finally calmed down now. It was a a good two or three days where you couldn't (laughs) talk about absolutely anything else. Yeah, what an incredible moment. I mean, the, the tyranny of takes thing, we've talked about this a bit on Spike, 
was really, really striking. It was just, it's like nothing can take place yeah. um, in the Twitter sphere or in culture without it having to birth just kind of endless discussion, <laughs> endless kind of permutations of culture war talking points. Um, and it was just a really good example of that. You know, the the slap had barely landed before people were trying to hook points off of it about uh, anti-blackness or about yeah. this or about that or whatever. When the reality of the situation is on the one hand quite mundane, someone takes the mick out of your uh, wife and you <laughs> take umbrage with it. On the other hand, quite unique in relation to the slightly strange uh, marriage at the heart of the Jada <laughs> Will Smith family. Um, so, but no, the, the tyranny of takes aspect, I think is definitely something that, that struck me just because it feels like, it's almost like a tick that we have now. Is yeah. there anything that happens? It can't have just happened. Mm. It has to have this extra layer of significance. Um, yeah. This was a, um, a veritable feast for that kind of perspective, it feels like. And, and, and even though there was obviously an abundance of these takes, they are still filtered through the same mm. prisms, right? Mm. I mean, it's got to be about gender or race or mm. some such policing and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, th- you know, there's, you'd be forgiven for suggesting that there is some kind of profoundness to it in just in the fact that Will Smith decided to do that on national, international <laughs> television yeah. to an audience of, I mean, no, like, I, d- I didn't know the Oscars was on until I heard about the slap because <laughs> no one watches it anymore. But supposedly there are still millions of people that watch it. It was, you know, I think it was um, censored in America because mm. it, they've got a lag, but everyone in Europe got to watch it. So <laughs> you do think, I did think, and I'm afraid to say that I initially thought, oh, what is this? A promo for the next Red Table talk? And then you check yourself and you think, no, stop being you probably a conspiracy explain for theorist. People what that is. It's Jada Pinkett Smith's yeah. show in which her and Will and various other people rake over their private lives in the most excruciating way possible. Um, but the and you know you you do think you know Chris Rock is a comedian. He's like Ricky Gervais, a particularly rude comedian. Yeah. The suggestion that he wasn't like comedians pick people out of the audiences mm. and pick on them, and they pick on their personal. Uh, Features, you know, mm. all that kind of. Whether or not you think it's nice to joke about alopecia is probably not. It's like, come on, this is what this is what happens. But there was this really sensible take in a world in a world of bad <laughs> takes um, from this young black commentator Zz Mills on Good Morning Britain, where there was a kind of frothing discussion on Good Morning Britain. Can Will Smith be a role model? You know, what's this? Yeah. What's this doing to young people? You know, like you say, black man doing this on television, it's going to you know legitimize violence. And she said, you know, actual fact, role models are about are meant to be sort of real people who you can connect with. And Will Smith is someone who, you know, clearly made a mistake. His emotions got ahead of him. Whatever the reason was, he did it. It was bad. And then he apologised. Chris Rock's not pressing charges. Whatever's, you know, end of story. And, you know, you do kind of want to, yeah. that's, it's like, yes. Can everyone just say end of story? You know, showbiz is a weird world where weird things happen. Mm, yeah. We don't all have to take our political and social cues and norms from the interaction between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Can we just remember that Will Smith is a great actor. I loved him in Men in Black. It's not going to change my view of him, <laughs> yeah. but probably you shouldn't go around slapping comedians who upset your wife or anyone else. The role model thing is good though, because, you know, there, there is this, either there's this discussion where it's, uh, you know, celebrities are role models or, you know, I mean, the, the reason that people start watching the Oscars, or at least in large part, is because it just becomes this almost like party conference for all the woke bollocks that's kind yeah. of doing the rounds at that particular time. And it just reminds you, you know, a lot of celebrities are, I'm not naming names here, but, you know, they're ranging from strange, unstable, mm-hmm. incredibly egotistical. Like, they're not often good people yeah. making balanced judgments about what it is that they should be doing with their lives or anything else. So the idea that we look to them, or the mm. other one is football, like the idea that football is a moral yeah. example, very, very funny to me, 
is just ridiculous. Um, that being said, just on the, the the thing itself, it is amazing because apparently they asked him to leave and he refused to leave, <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just allowed to go up and collect his award. It's just it and is just very himself in the speech exactly talking about how you know like the Williams sisters' father, I stand up for my family and love and all the rest of it. So it, I, I do wonder if this would have become such a big story if what would happen in any other normal situation would have happened, which is that you slap someone and you're asked to leave and taken out. Would it have? <laughs> would it have had the uh, the strangeness that it, current, that it had and the, the kind of afterglow mm. that it had, I suppose? But yes, um, why look to Will Smith or anyone else for that? I mean, the flip side of that, I should say, is that you know, there's been this from, from some conservatives in particular. Oh, yeah bit of kind of vicarious masculinity going on, but like, well, you know, that's what I would do. He stood up for his wife like a good Southern gentleman. All, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you do think if you're looking for like a kind of example and an avatar and a uh, sort of lodestar for traditional <laughs> family values, that family is not the one you should probably <laughs> go for, I dare say. Thank you for listening to The Spike Podcast. We're back every Friday and you can now watch us on video too. Check us out on YouTube or go via the Spiked website which is spiked-online.com. See you next time.